Good morning, Happy New Year. It's great to see you guys this morning, starting off the new year here with us at Genesis. Uh, excited, we're going to be starting a, a new series, Beginnings, and we're going to be going through the book of Genesis. We are not going to go through every chapter and everything that it would take us too long. There's like 50 chapters and that would be the year. And then we'd say goodbye. Okay, then we'll go to the book of Exodus. And there we go. And so I'm going to be pulling out specific things in the book that I think jump out that are important. If there is something in the book of Genesis, and I encourage you to go through it, and maybe there's a passage that you want to know about, like what is the Nephilim in chapter 6? You can email me at sam at genesisie.com and I will take that into thought unless it comes from Alex and he's going to talk about aliens. I'll say sorry. <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we will be talking about a number of things throughout this series. And so uh, if there's something specifically that stands out, uh, definitely want to hear that. Genesis. The book of Genesis, the, the word Genesis means origins. It means beginning. And Genesis is the entrance into the scripture. And it lays the foundation for everything that is going to follow it in scripture. And so in it, in this book, we are getting some really important foundations that the rest of scripture builds on. And so let's read... Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and someone will get one to you. If not, we're going to go ahead and start reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. 
and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. As we look at this book, There's some important things that we need to understand because what tends to happen is we read something and see it through our lens. And so we want it to say or answer things for us, but we need to see how it was written, when it was written and what took place. And so first of all, The book of Genesis was written by Moses. He was inspired by God, we believe, and wrote the book, probably had some scribes or some people helping him pen it out, but we believe that God used this man, Moses, to bring about what happened. But we have to understand that, okay, we're talking about creation, which we'll put right here, 
And then we're going to have this timeline. Then we're going to have us here. So this is, you are here. Okay. <laughs> I know where I am. Uh, and so one of the things that we sometimes have understand or fail to understand is here at Genesis, at, we're going to start at zero. We think, okay, this is when the book of Genesis was written. But the book of Genesis wasn't written here. You see, we have a lot that takes place between this point and even Moses. If we put Moses somewhere over here. This is not according to scale. Okay. And so between this time and say we have Noah, that's a big event, right? Noah, we have the whole ark thing going on. We have Abraham. I'm going to put A. We're going to have those things that are going on. And then we have Joseph and the children going into Egypt. And then we have Moses. And so the book about the beginning was written here. Why is that important? Because Moses, from this point, is telling these people, his people, what took place at the beginning. And so the things that he, are, he is proclaiming to them are things that they need to know. They're things that we need to know, too. But it was very specific for this group of people. And it's important that we understand that because there's a lot of things that are taking place with this. Now, how did he know about this? You ever wonder that? Or just me? Okay. You wonder, how did Moses know about these things? And then, well, God told him. Okay, well, how did God tell them? You ever wonder that? Like, was he sleeping and all of a sudden, Moses, get a pen. I got something for you. Oh, okay. And, and writes it down. I mean, how did he know? Well, there was oral tradition that was very prevalent at this time. So people would tell the story of their fathers, of Abraham, and Abraham would talk about these things. And it's important to understand that this was common at the time. And so a lot of the information we believe that Moses had was oral tradition that was given down to him. Now we look at this, and Moses from this time of Adam is probably around 3,000 years. We don't know exactly. Some people say 2,500, some people say 4,000 we know that it's thousands of years after this time. But don't let the span of time make you think that the tradition becomes degraded. Actually, between Adam and Noah, there could be just one, there was one person, Methuselah, who lived 969 years. We'll get into why people lived so long later on. So Adam knew Methuselah, Methuselah was alive at the time of Noah. And so now from this time of Noah to Adam, you have one person in between. So Adam talks to Methuselah, hey, this is what happened. One day I was there, and God said, you're the man. And, and I was. And so that's not a lot of space between that time. And the same thing from Noah to Abraham, People lived not as long, but still there could be one generation between this time and this time where someone who knew Noah also knew Abraham. And so now the tradition isn't going through thousands of people. It's going through a few people, and it's important. 
And so this tradition is coming into play. Now, the Western mind, the European Western mind wants to know what happened. We, we want to know how and why things happened. You know, we want to know, okay, how did creation take place? What took place? We want to know the scientific explanation of these things. Moses is not writing a scientific journal to give us all the details about what pl- took place. What he's doing in the Hebrew mind is wanting to know why did things take place? And so the Western mind focuses on facts. We, we equate facts with truth. And then we put story or mythology in this other column. But in the Hebrew mind, story is truth. How do you tell the truth? You tell it through a story. You see, I want two plus two to equal four. But in the Hebrew mind, it starts off, well, there was a man and he had four cows. But before him, his brother-in-law, who was son of so-and-so, had two cows. And so they go through this story. Eventually, you're going to get the four cows. But how you get it, it's about the story. And so truth is found in the story. It's not just to give us a diagram of all the things and how they happen. You see, this first chapter of Genesis, what it's telling us is why things happen. This cosmology, when science does cosmology, the goal is to answer questions like, what is here? What's it made of? Where did it come from? How did it come to be in this present time? But science can't answer any of the profound questions for us of why did it happen? Why is this thing? Why am I here? Who am I? Am I worth anything? Those questions aren't answered by the science, the cosmology. And Moses isn't trying to answer those questions. And so when you see someone debating about the book of Genesis and arguing the validity in a scientific principle. That's interesting, but that's not why Moses is writing. That's why we look at Genesis. And so we wanted to answer these things for us because like most people, we become very self-focused. We think things are about us. But what was Moses and his people dealing with at the time? Because he wrote it for these people looking back to this point. It applies to us, but God isn't trying to answer the scientific foundations of the world for us. That's not the intent of the book. And if we spend all our energy trying to scientifically prove the book of Genesis, we can lose the meaning of why it was written. That's great if you want to talk about, you know, the new earth and you want to go into the evolution of things, but it's not the purpose of this book. It's not the how it was done. It's really about the why. And so we start seeing that there are some generalizations here. I mean, come on. Talking about the creation of all things and it happened in a chapter. I would think it would be a lot more, you know, if you want to go scientifically, it would be a lot more descriptive. How, you know, light interacts with the plants and those things produce this. But it's not. 
And in fact, we start seeing this little cadence, and that's why some people call Genesis a poem. It's more than a poem, but it contains poetry. We'll see it start with God said, and then we'll see it ends with, and it was. And then it says the evening and morning. Then it was evening and morning. You ever notice it's not morning and evening? It's evening and morning was the first day. There's a reason for that, and we'll hopefully answer that reason. And so there's this cadence that's going on. It was God said, evening, morning, first day. God said, evening, morning, second day. God said, evening, morning, third day. And this goes on and on and on. And God is answering something. The universe wasn't an accident. The universe was made with intention. The universe was made for us to live in. It's where we meet and experience God. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens, Psalm 8. Psalm 19, it says, The heavens are telling of your glory, O God, and their expanse is declaring the work of your hands. Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. You see, the creation is God's work. And so in creation, we see evidence of God. Just like a painting, you see the artist's character show up. Oh, this person likes wide brush strokes. I don't know anything about art. I'm just making it up as I go. Oh, he likes to use a lot of pastels in his color. Oh, yeah, he, he, he puts noses where ears are supposed to go. He's kind of got, you know, Picasso thing going on. You know, you see the artist's characteristics in the work. We see the characteristics of God in the things that creation takes place. And so it's not a scientific explanation. The scriptures talk a lot about the heart. But if you need to get a quadruple bypass, I don't suggest going to the Bible and finding out how. Because when it talks about the heart, it's not talking about the pump inside our body. And so when God is displaying these things, he's not trying to give us a journal. He's explaining something much more important. And if we focus just on the scientific aspect, because that's what we like to talk about, we will miss the meaning of what Moses wanted to proclaim here at this time. Now, we want to hear what God is saying to us. As he starts off, he starts off and he says that the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And it starts off, in the beginning, God. And the word that is used for God is the word Elohim. Now, Elohim is a curious word because it has a plurality about it. It's not a single word. It doesn't mean one. It actually means more than it. It has a... a, aspect of it that includes others. And it's kind of a strange thing because you wouldn't translate it gods, plural. It's one, but it has more. It's kind of like, hey, where did John go? Oh, they went to the store. Well, it's not they, it's he, but you know what it means. 
And so it has this plural sense, and then we start seeing it unfold in the passage as it takes place. In the beginning, God created. And so we see that God creates. The word that's used for creation is bara. It's an action. It's intense. God bara. He, he created. And the Hebrew sounds like Klingon to me. So when I talk in these words, it's going to come across like that. And so God bara. He, he created. It's an act. From nothing he created, or more clearly, Hebrews tells us, from the invisible, as we talked about, right? It was in the mind of God and he created. It's not that it wasn't, it's just it wasn't seen. And it became material as God bara. He, so he, he's a creator, he's a person who acts. But then it goes on and it says that the earth was formless and empty. It was a wasteland. It was without order, chaotic, wild. These are all ideas that are presented here. It was without form, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so we have God the Creator, and now we have the Spirit of God. And He's doing something over the waters, He's hovering. It means vibrating. And the word for spirit is ruach. See, doesn't it sound Klingon? It does, right? Ruach. And so God, bara, and then ruach was hovering over the waters. And we don't know exactly what he's doing, but you see, this is something that Genesis is starting to tell us, that God is at work in ways that we are unaware, but he is doing something. And so the Spirit of God is moving, hovering upon the waters and taking place. And then we go into the creation account, and we have a number of things that take place here. As the creation is going on, we're encountering this Central thing, God is at work. The Spirit is the agent by which God is working in the circumstances. And so now Elohim creates bara. The Spirit of God, rock, is moving on the face of the earth. And then we come into this place where, and God said, we see God speaks or has words. And so God creates the Spirit of God and he uses words. We have God the Creator, the Spirit, and we have the Word that is proclaimed. This is all part of Elohim. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there at the beginning of creation. And you see that later on. Let us make man in our image. Who's us? He's not talking to the angels. We're not created in their image. Who's the us? Let us make man. And so we have this community, this plurality of this one God. And I mean, there is no religion that is more monotheistic than Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one. Are there any other gods before me? I know not any. But then we have, let us make man in our image. What the heck? What's going on here? God is at work and he's revealing who he is in this time and in this place. And and then what happens is we have, as the creation comes about, first thing that God starts to do is he separates. 
And on day one, what he does is he gives us light and darkness. Hope I have room. Okay, the day and night. He separates these two. Second day, what goes on, he has the sky and the water on day two. And he separates them. And the separation is from the water, the moisture that is in the clouds. I forget, I heard there are ton, there's tons of water in a rain cloud. Isn't that weird? How can there be weight in water that's floating? That just freaks me out. It kind of makes me scared. You know, and to know that there's tons of water hovering over our head. Well, he expanded that. And he calls it the sky, but he's separating that expanse of water. And that's what he's talking about there is the water that is actually in the sky. And day three, we have the land and the seas. So we're familiar with that. And then on day four, we go down and we have the sun, the moon, the lesser light, and then the stars. Day five, we have birds and fish. And all these things he's separating. Day six, we have the animals and us. Man. And then on the seventh day, there's a break in the cadence. God said, and it was evening and it was morning, God said, <clears throat> excuse me, it was evening and morning, God, on day seven, God rested and he said it was good. And so on day seven, God rests and then he talks about making it holy, which is very important in this context that we're looking at. And so we see this description taking place, these things, as God is separating in the First three days, the light, the darkness, the sky, the water, the land, and the seas. And then he starts filling them in. On the fourth day, it actually fills in what happens on the first day. The birds and the fish fill in what happened on the second day. And then the animals, man, fill in what happens on the third day. And so God separates and then God fills in this thing and he calls it the day. Now, you might start to ask some questions here, at least I did. A day. What makes a day? 24 hours? Is it, how do we know it's 24 hours? Right? The rotation of the earth around the sun. When was the sun created? On day four. How do we know this was a day? I don't know. Here's the point. We get so hung up on arguing, oh, this had to be this, it had to be this, it had to be this. And what God is doing is making movements. It's not so important about 24 hours. God could have made heaven and earth in a second. The days are accounting for movements that God is working. And what God is doing here is separating and filling. And this is going to be an important part of the Hebrew tradition. As things go on, they're going to see that this is something that they have to give account to. There is the clean and the unclean. 
There is the holy, there is unholy. They are to separate certain types of linens from other types of linens. All this is referring to the things that God did where God separated things and he separated them to make purpose fill into those places. And so don't get hung up on whether it was 24 hours. Moses didn't care. As he wrote this, he wasn't trying to explain the scientific principle. He was trying to show us the movements that God is doing and that there is something behind those movements. God is separating and then God is filling. He's taking what is chaotic and he's bringing order. What is wild and what is just uncontrolled is now coming to a place of order. He's bringing order. One of the things I think is interesting is just the way it takes place. You see, because for you to have animals and man and those things, well, you need sky or you need land and seas, right? You need a place to stand. You need water. You need sky and water for birds and fish. And then you need light for plants and all those things. And so the order that it takes place is something that we know is necessary to produce life. You have to have light. You have to have the water. You have to have the land for these things to happen. It has to happen in this order. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's telling those things, but something more is taking place. God is trying to bring about order and he's trying to do it in a way that we would understand. And then when it comes to man, God says, let us make man in our image. Something unique starts happening from the time of the fish and then the animals. Then we see the word blessed. God blessed it. You see, now these animals and the idea of blessing is the ability to reproduce. I think that's interesting that blessing has to do with a reproduction. God blessed them and all of a sudden they're able to be reproducing from themselves. So God creates things. He says, hey, that's cool. Go ahead now, you guys create more. And so God made all the animals. He made the elephants. He made the giraffes. He made the fish. He made the little dogs that wear sweaters. (laughs) No, we did that. God did all these things and and so he is designing and he is creating with purpose and intention and he gets to man and there's something unique. We start finding out that what happens is that all of this was made for us. That God created and created until he saw his own image in us. Now what does it mean God created us in his own image. It doesn't mean, well, we have eyes, so God has eyes. Well, God sees, God hears, God talks. It's more than that. Now, you notice there are some things that God didn't give us. He didn't give us any of the omnis, right? Omnipotence. What a rip. Wouldn't that be cool to have? (laughs) I'd like some omnipotence. He didn't give us omniscience, all-knowing. Or omnipresent. He didn't give us any of the omnis, but what he gave us was his character. What he gave us was the ability to discern, to create, the ability to love. And he separated us from the animals. You see, you are not an animal which gets us to the reason. 
when Moses wrote Genesis, he was in Egypt or just out of Egypt on his way to the promised land. At this time, the people of Egypt, the children of Israel in Egypt were slaves. What they did seven days a week was make bricks. That's what they did. We have the account in Exodus. They made bricks. Hey, we need to make more bricks. Okay, make more bricks. And so they didn't have to make bricks without straw, but they made bricks. They were brick machines. Seven days a week, this is what you do. You make bricks. The gods of the Egyptians, there were all kinds of gods. There was the sun god, Ra. There were gods that looked like frogs. There were gods that looked like cats. Made me think of a joke. You know, when God asked Adam to name all the animals, imagine how cool that would be. And so here comes an animal and Adam says, ah, okay, that's a rhinoceros. And God said, okay, man, whatever you want to call it. I had something different in mind, but rhinoceros it is, you know. And then at the end, you know, comes, okay, one more. Okay, here it is. What is this? Uh, kind of tired. I'm running out of creative names. That's a dog. Like, okay, dog. That's a dog. Hey, that's my name backwards. What's going on? Okay, anyway. So it goes on and moves away. And then, wait, there's one more. And it goes, what's this? Uh, that's a cat. God said, I didn't make that. <laughs> Don't care what you think. It's funny, okay? If you're a cat person or not, it's funny. Okay, so anyway, at the time of Moses, there's all this going on. These gods for every different thing, all the nations around them. Some of the ideas of creation was there was conflict between these two gods, and in that conflict, man came into being. What is the purpose? You're here to serve the gods. That is the mentality that is taking place. The children of Israel, you're here to make bricks. That is your job. And then all of a sudden, this story comes out. And here is the truth that you were made not to create bricks, but you were made in the image of God to represent him. And in fact, he has given all of the earth for you to subdue and to live in. It belongs to you. And then in the verse, he he creates the sun, the moon, the stars for signs and for seasons and for holy days. What's he talking about? And what he's talking about here is actually referring to the rest, the Sabbath. The evening, because the Sabbath starts on the evening to the morning. That day of rest where you are going to have a day. Why is this important? Because up to this point, All they know about is what they do. What our life is about is about work. It's about what we do. We work and then we're of value. How much are you worth? I'm worth a thousand bricks because that's how much I can make in a week. Are we very far from that? And we can get lost in thinking our life is about what we can produce, how much money we make about our status. What is the meaning of life? Well, it's about what you can produce. It's about what you do. And God is saying, no, it's about who you are. And this is a totally 
different mindset from the world that is taking place. And it is for us too. God is looking at these people, and he knows about us over here, but he's telling them, you are not what you do. You are who I created you to be, and I have given you my image. And so what Genesis is telling us, the importance that is taking place here, is that God has done something. He has created. His spirit is working. He has spoken. All these things. He is designing. He's separating. He's making and he's filling these places. And last but most important, he created you and me in his image. In his likeness, he created us. We have value because we belong to him. And as he sets the day apart on that final day when he rests and he makes it holy, he is now taking time and making a segment of time holy. Why? Because the people are supposed to stop. They are supposed to now remember who they are and where they come from. It's no more about what you produce. There are no God of the Nile, God of the frogs, God of the sun. There is the one God whose image you are created in. If we do not recognize that man is created in God's image... In chapter 2, we're going to see that God breathed into man and gave him life. Man is a spiritual being, given life by God, but he lives in the world. Unlike animals, I know you like your dogs, but your dog doesn't have a soul. Sorry. What? I know. We've lost the understanding, and that's why we start to live like animals. You see, but every person has been created in the image of God. Every person has this identity, and when we lose this identity, what we start to do is act like animals and start to treat each other without value. And so, you know, if a dog has a litter of pups, well, where's... Where's the dad dog? He's out running around. Going to make another litter of pups somewhere. You're not a dog. You have intention and you have character that is supposed to drive you. And so when we start living as if it's just material and that's all we're living for and this idea of you know survival of the fittest and this is all that it is, then you're going to start living like an animal and you'll start misrepresenting the image you were created in. And you see, all of us have been created in God's image. Some of us are just living in an awareness of that. Everyone is spiritual. Some people just don't see it. But there is something calling to every human being saying, You are of more value than you understand. You are of more importance than you recognize. You have my fingerprints on your soul. 
And you will never be satisfied living as if this is all there is because I have created you in my image. And so Genesis is being written so that man can see who he is, the value that he has, that he is created with intention, with purpose, and with character. That this is a moral universe that we live in. God has separated light, darkness, sky, water, land, seas. All these things are for purpose. The sun has to be in the proper place for us to survive. An inch further away, a mile further away, we'd start freezing. A little closer to the sun, and the women would all be happy. They wouldn't have to wear sweaters. We would fry. It's all in relationship with one another. In fact, as we go through Genesis, oh gosh, there's so much. Every covenant that is made is a relational covenant. Every blessing and curse has to do with relationships. Ever notice when God gives a curse, he doesn't say you will be cursed and one leg will be shorter than the other. No, it's your children will carry this on. It's all relational. And so what Genesis is telling you, the foundation is that you were created for a relationship with God, that you were created with purpose, that in you is the character of God. You are not a machine. You are not an animal. You are not part of someone else's experiment. You're not an accident. That you have purpose. That you have design. That you are God's masterpiece. The crowning glory of all of creation. Now if the heavens declare the glory of God, how much more should we? See, the heavens can't declare God's glory the way we can. We have the ability to represent God more clearly than anything else. We have the ability to bring this magnificence to God of who he is more than anything else if we would live our lives in character to how he has created us. And so, this is the beginning. Remember, Moses is writing, telling these people about the event that happened here. And we are looking back and now we are finding who we are because of what he has declared. Let's pray. Father, we have been designed with intention, out of what was empty and wild and wasted, you have brought order and purpose. We have been designed and set apart to fill a role that you have given us. The role is mentioned in Genesis to be fruitful, to multiply, and it's also to be stewards over this earth. That you've entrusted us with a task. 
And that task still remains today. And Father, I pray that our eyes of understanding would see that you have put within each of us your spirit. You've breathed your life in us. Not just made us alive, but given us your life. That we are spiritual beings, whether we believe it or not. There is a voice calling out from within us to our Creator. And Lord, may we hear and understand your voice. May we see, and as we go through this book, God, may we make important the things that you wanted to make important. And may we not argue about lesser things. May we allow the truth that you have revealed to us to permeate our lives and to affect us so that we would live like people who have been created by God, that we would not live like animals just pursuing whatever we desire, any kind of appetite that we have, but we would live with intention, with purpose, and with character, with your character. Lord, from here, may we move forward into all that you have for us. And we thank you, God, for your love, your unfailing love, And as we see who you are unfolding in the scriptures, we see you blessing, sitting back and saying, this is good. We see that you are pleased. We are also going to see that you can be grieved. Lord, may we live lives that you can look back and say, it's good. May we live those lives that please our creator. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.